All right, we're continuing our, our series. We have uh, two more after this one uh, called Relationship Through God's Top Ten. Uh, we're going through the top ten list that God made uh, thousands of years ago. If you want to turn to a scripture, you can turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and we'll get over to Ephesians 4 in a moment. What, just to remind you, we're looking for the principle of relationship behind each commandment. And uh, we're on now the Eighth Commandment, so next week the Ninth, the next week the Tenth. But uh, the Eighth Commandment uh, is Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, four words. There's only one other four-word commandment, but it is, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, I've I've had a lot of great comments from people saying, you know, we've been kind of wondering where you're going to go on these messages, you know. How are you going to preach on murder? to a bunch of church-going folks, you know. And um, so uh, it's been wonderful to me to watch as the Lord has unfolded these principles before us. So let me just let you know, here's the principle I believe that God is trying to instill in us through the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. I think the principle is the principle of trust. It's the principle of trust. Because when you think about it, there's really only one reason that anyone would steal. And it's because you don't trust God to provide for you. It's got to be the only reason. So, so what, what is God trying, what was God trying to teach Israel, the nation of Israel that had been in slavery for 430 years? What was he trying to teach them? What was he saying to them through this commandment? He's trying to say, you don't need to steal because I'll always provide for you. I want, I want you to learn to trust me. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 There's a passage that we're going to um, uh, springboard off of today. All three points will come out of one verse. But I I was interested looking at these these last few commandments that we're in right now, how these commandments, several of them, are in this passage in Ephesians 4. So let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for, for we are members of one another. Okay, just, just so you know, that's next week. That's the, in other words, next week is you shall not bear false witness or you shall not lie. So here's the New Testament saying, put away lying. And then verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Okay, that was the one we talked about not murdering. Because one of the steps to murder is hate. One of the steps to hate is unresolved anger. And here he says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't let it be unresolved. Don't have unresolved anger because it could turn into hate and bitterness. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Last weekend we talked about adultery and how adultery, whether it's body, soul, or spirit, gives a place then to the enemy in your life. And then verse 28 is this week. Let him who stole... Now he's talking to believers. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So all three points are going to come out of, out of this verse. So it says, let him who stole steal no longer. So here's point number one. Stop stealing. Kind of simple, huh? Stop stealing. So if you're going to develop this principle of trust in your life, 
you're going to have to stop stealing in little ways. And I think sometimes we actually do steal and we excuse it because it's just a little thing. But let's go back now to right before he gives the law in Exodus 20, Exodus 16, either in the wilderness and he provided manna for him. But something you might not have ever seen before is that he provided the exact amount of manna for every person every day. Look, Exodus 16, uh, verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer, now that's about two liters. We, we don't know what an omer is, but it's about two liters. One omer for each person according to the number of persons let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less, because it depended on how many people lived in that tent. So when they had measured it out by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who had gathered little had no lack. In other words, everyone had the perfect, exactly perfect amount. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Okay, so let's think about this for a moment. Since God provided exactly enough for every person, if you took more than what you were supposed to take, then you were stealing from another person. You see that? So taking more would be stealing. Now, I want to clarify something because we really need to clarify this because we live in an upside-down world today. There is this whole thing about redistributing wealth and about everyone needs the same and, and all this stuff. But please, please hear me. If you, if you don't hear anything, read some books on this and understand what the Bible says about a free economy. There's a tremendous difference between taking more and making more. The problem today is not the people who are making more. The problem, some of you shake your head. Are you all with me? The problem is the people who are taking more. That's the problem. Because actually, the people who are making more are helping the economy. They're actually creating jobs. But people don't want you to know that. They won't tell you that. So that's not stealing. The, the, the entrepreneurs and the job creators in our country are what's good for America. The entitlement and the taking is what's bad for America. That's what's wrong. That's the stealing. And then on the, then on the sixth day, God said, I'll provide for two days. Uh, and, but then on the seventh day, some people went out to tr still try to gather, but God, he, notice he provided twice as much. We talked about that in the fourth commandment, which is to honor the Sabbath day. Okay, but here's what he said when they went out looking on the seventh day and he told them not to, because this is important. Exodus 16, verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep, now underline the word keep there, keep my commandments and my laws. Let me tell you what this word keep means. It means a guard or a trustworthy keeper of something. A trustworthy. Here's what he's really saying. How long do you refuse to trust me? How long do you refuse to keep my commandments? How long do you refuse to trust that I'll provide for you. That was Israel's problem. They didn't trust that he would provide enough 
on that sixth day for two days. And he said, how long are you going to do this? How long? So that's what stealing is. Stealing is a bold statement to God that you don't trust him. Stealing is a bold statement that you don't trust that God can provide for you. So as I said, how are we going to make this real for a church full of Christians? You got to remember that Ephesians... Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, which they were a part of a very corrupt society. Um, And he said, let him who, he's writing to believers, let him who stole, steal no more. And don't lie and don't be angry and and not resolve your anger. Okay, so we're, we're, we're part of a corrupt society today. So there's still stealing that goes on. And I really think that Christians steal, steal. Can I say that? S-T-I-L-L-S-T-E-A-L. Still steal. So I'm going to say some things, and you might want to nudge someone. You might not. You might want to look straight ahead like you've never had that thought before. But have you ever bought anything on an expense account that really was personal? Y'all are looking straight ahead. (laughs) Never thought of that. Nope, nope. Have you ever charged something to the company that really wasn't the company's? Okay, I'll say it this way. Have you ever charged a meal to the company that really was personal? And I've heard it. For instance... At lunch, we say, how's your business? Great, how's yours? Great, okay, we talked about business. I can write this one off. (laughs) You laughed and then you moaned. (laughs) Here's the reason I'm saying this. I'm not saying to take advantage of the tax laws and things like that, to not take advantage. Yes, we should. I'm saying in your heart, you probably make enough money, you you don't need to do that. I'm saying that God has convicted me to make sure that I'm integrous with everything I charge to the company instead of me, personally. For instance, years and years ago, I can remember, took a guest speaker out to eat, so the church was going to take care of that. And I remember seeing something on the menu that was really expensive, and I thought to myself, would I order that if I were paying for it? And I thought, no, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. And so I didn't. And I can remember a few years after that, saying almost the same thing happened. I saw something, and I thought I would order that because I would pay for it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to. So I just paid for it personally. Here, here's what I'm saying. God, I know God has blessed me. You know, I wrote this book called The Blessed Life, okay? So I know God's blessed me. But you can't imagine, only those close to me know how strict I am about being an integrous person in finances. Have you ever taken a longer lunch than you were allowed? That would be stealing. Um, Have you ever paid for something in cash or asked to be paid in cash so you could hide it from the government? Have you ever received too much change back 
and considered it a blessing from God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> to not pay one's debts is stealing. If you borrow the money, you need to pay it back. Not working the agreed number of hours for pay is stealing. Let me say it another way. The Lord owns everything, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the people that dwell therein, Psalm 24, 1. So when you steal from someone else, aren't you really stealing from the Lord? Since he's the one that owns everything. And you know who the master thief is, don't you? <laughs> Very famous scripture, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's he talking about? Satan. He's the thief. Uh, just, uh, just a week or so ago, Debbie and I bought some new patio furniture. And we bought the furniture, we got it out, we put it out, and then we said, you know, I, we think we could buy that other piece that we looked at at the store, but we didn't know if we'd have room for it or not. So she called and ordered that. Two days later, I went to pick it up. I have a truck, it's, I drive a truck, and so I went to pick it up. And when I uh, walked in, and she, she had, uh, Debbie told me, now I didn't pay for it, so you need to pay for it. When I walked in, the lady said, if you'll just pull your truck around, we'll load it up. I had that little thought just for a moment. Their mistake. <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only human here. But then I had that conviction, and, and you have this conviction too. I said, I don't think we paid for this yet. She said, let me look it up. She looked it up, she said, yeah, you, your wife did. She put it on a card because she said she didn't at first, but then I found out it was a special order, so I called her back and told her we had to, she had to give me a card before we could order it. But let me tell you, I walked out knowing that I did not trade the provision of God for a piece of patio furniture. I knew in my heart I'd done the right thing. So number one, stop stealing. Here's number two, start working. Look back at Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole steal no longer, that was point one, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. And then it says that he may have something to give, so that'll be point three, okay? All right, but let him labor. Okay, you might say, I, I said start working. You might say, I have a job. Uh-huh, start working. I know a lot of people have jobs that don't work. I know people who work hard and people who hardly work. God blesses hard work. He blesses hard work. This word labor means to grow weary, tired, and to be exhausted. To be exhausted. This word work means to earn something by working, to earn it. I remember uh, Josh, when he got his first job, he came home, he was exhausted. I said, how do you feel? He said, I'm exhausted. He, worked, he went to work for a country club where we were members and he, uh, uh, they had to set up for a banquet and they set up tables and chairs and they had to wait for everyone to leave and they had to take down all the tables and chairs and they had to, to uh, you know, clean the room and get it ready for the next day. And he said, I'm exhausted. And I said to him, 
That's why they call it work. <laughs> they don't call work play. They call work work. And I said, matter of fact, son, just to let you know, tomorrow at work, they're going to ask you to work again. <laughs> and of course, he had a good work perspective. I remember after a few weeks, he told me, he said, Dad, there's some guys, they don't work. They just don't work. I said, uh huh. And son, they're going to bounce around from job to job the rest of their lives until they learn to work. Because God blesses hard work. This is the, the, the eighth commandment is the balance to the fourth commandment. It's why you need it. You need a day off because you worked. God's plan is that you would work and receive joy from your work. Did you know that? Did you know that God told Adam and Eve to work before the fall? Before they sinned, they were to work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God put the man, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. To work it. But work is supposed to be a joy. If Ecclesiastes 2.10, watch this. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. What was his reward? That he worked. I grew up working for my father's company. My father owned a company, and I'd work for him during the summers. One part of his um, company, he was, had, had an engineering company. One part was a surveying company, so I did the land surveying part. I remember one of my friends told me, he said, man, you ought to come work at this other engineering company in town. There were two big ones in our town, my father's and this other one. And uh, he said, man, we don't work. That's what he told me. We don't work at all. And I thought, I was a teenager, I thought, sounds good, because we work. So I actually went to work this company. We get there at seven in the morning, sit around and eat donuts and drink coffee for about an hour. Then we start heading out to the job, then we'd set the equipment up around nine or 9.30. Then about 11.30, we'd break down to go to lunch. We'd come back from lunch, we'd sit in the car and take a nap. About two o'clock, we'd set the equipment up again, about four o'clock, we'd break the equipment down so we could be back to the office by five. And we drove slow. <laughs> About a month into it, I quit the job. My dad said, I said, Dad, I want to come back to work for you. He said, why? I said, it's no fun. I, I was a lost teenager. I didn't get saved until after Debbie and I got married. But I'd grown up where you worked. I knew how to work. Now, I'm going to show you something that's funny. It's a video I saw this last week. Now, please, 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 just, just don't get offended, all right? Just laugh. But it's about millennials, okay? But I, listen, hold on. But if you're a millennial, don't get your, don't get your feelings hurt because there's a lot of millennials that work hard, but even I showed this to my son and my son said, he laughed. He said, Dad, I know people like that. All right? So watch, watch this video. We're talking about working. I was at church one day and the speaker that day was, um, was different. I just sat there with tears in my eyes, learning about this ministry that was revolutionizing the planet. I'm talking, of course, about Millennial International. 
The need is enormous. There are over 10 million millennials out there who have graduated with no work ethic, no job, no discernible skills at all, and they have expenses. Housing. Student loans. Credit card debt. And I didn't really realize the magnitude of the problem until I looked into the eyes of a millennial. And I saw that face with the, the dead, nothing's happening up here kind of thing. So I went out to the booth after the service and I talked with the guy and he really informed me about the devastation that's not being able to fund a millennial lifestyle. Core power yoga. Birch box for men. I looked over all the envelopes and my heart was really touched when I saw this one particular fellow that I, I just had to get more information about him. He was uh, Declan from Beverly Hills. I am an uh, aspiring photographer. I graduated college with an art degree, so obviously that puts me at a disadvantage. Volkswagen Jetta lease. Beard wax. Spotify premium. In his last letter, he wrote to me and said that his uh, weekend was, oh, how do you put it? Um, totes lit fam. Literally have no idea what that means. Spin cycle membership. Pet food for my rescue dog. Uber's home from a pub crawl. A typical sponsorship program costs $29 a month. Millennial International is actually $2,900 a month. Yeah, it seems expensive at first, but when you see the need, it is so worth it. Trunk Club subscription. Essential oils. Annual pilgrimage to Bethel Church. It's the same as a traditional sponsorship program, uh, except instead of getting, say, a soccer ball for his birthday, he's getting an Audi. Am I capable of having a job? Sure, but I just feel like Maybe employment right now would just kind of be stifling my creativity. Through the sponsorship program, they actually set up a chance for us to meet each other in person. I brought him an apple pie that my wife had baked for him, but I totally forgot he's gluten-free, so we couldn't eat it. I mean, obviously I've seen Food Inc., so I don't eat the traditional meals like everybody else. For breakfast, they usually do like some kombucha juice. He really didn't have much energy that week, and it turns out you know, he was on a juice cleanse. And I wanted to respect that. My wish for Declan? <laughs> Uh, that he would realize his potential in life, that he would be better, achieve more. I've been getting blue ribbons and participation trophies my whole life. What do you expect? For me, if it wasn't for the program, I'd have to get a job. Or worse, start a GoFundMe. Many of these kids in traditional sponsorship programs are fighting diseases like malaria, pneumonia, tuberculosis. And these millennials have the same struggle, peanut allergies pollen sensitivity, lactose intolerance. Kids in Africa are getting typhoid. Declan was recently diagnosed with tennis elbow. I was originally paying vision and eye care insurance for him, but it turns out his eyeglasses weren't even real. To me, you can't put a price on friendship. Join me in sponsoring a millennial today and help us. Help us. Help us. Help us live the lives we portray on Instagram. Now again, I'm not trying to attack millennials. I will say though that our generation has produced some of some people that don't want to work. And yet, the generation before us did not pass that down to us. They were hard workers. 
today, I was thinking about this message, and I went to Walmart. You know, I'd love to go to Walmart. And um, this guy greeted me, and boy, he was just so helpful and just so outgoing. And then when I got ready to leave, I was doing the self-checkout. The guy came over to help me. And I thought about this message, and I just thought, I said, I told him about it, and I said, I'm talking about work in my message, and can I take your picture? I just want to show you. These are the two guys that helped me at Walmart. Both of them with a disability, but they're working. So, if you want to trust God for provision, stop stealing, start working. Here's number three, get giving. Get to giving, get giving. Uh, Ephesians 4.28 again, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may, I put these words, he may, and I'll tell you why in a moment, that he may have something to give him who has a need. So why did I put the words, underline the words may? Let me tell you why. Because we get to give, we don't have to give. You need to know this. God's not going to make you give. We get to give. Let me say it another way, by the way, and this is the whole premise of the blessed life, most of you know. We get to give, we don't give to get. Isn't it amazing that pastors get up and preach, give and you'll get, give and you'll get, instead of, hey, we get to give. So we don't have to give, we get to give. We get to participate if we don't steal, and if we're hard workers, we get to give to those who truly do have a need, who really do have a need. We, we can make a difference. We get to give. Now, um, in my opinion, probably the biggest theft that's going on in the church is taking what belongs to God. And that also has to be the biggest statement of unbelief you could make to God, of not trusting him. I don't trust you that if I do what your word says in the area of giving, that you'll bless me and you'll take care of me. Uh, Joshua 6, when they go into the promised land, remember God said, bring all the silver and the gold into the house of the Lord, the treasure of the Lord. Joshua 6, 19, all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated. That just, it's a, a Bible word that means set apart. This is what the tithe is, set apart to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And then if you remember, Achan took some and hid it in his tent. Joshua 7, verse 11, Israel is sinned, for they have also transgressed my covenant, my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the cursed things. They're consecrated when you bring them to the house of God, but they're cursed if you keep it in your tent. And watch this, and have both stolen and deceived. Stolen and deceived, and they've also put it among their own stuff. I just want you to understand, the same way with adultery, in order to commit adultery, you have to be deceptive, you have to be deceitful. The same way, stealing, you have to be deceptive, Right? You have, you have to learn deceit. Uh, matter of fact, you, you know I love words. I love to study words and the root words, and I immediately, many times when I see a word, I break it down and see what the root word is, and it helps me understand. I'm going to show you a word, so since I've told you that now, you might get ahead of, me, ahead of me on this, but look at this word. Look at the word stealthy. Now look at the root of the word. 
steal. Now, I'm not talking about our, our military. Obviously, our military needs to be stealthy. They need to fly under the radar and not be detected. But that's exactly what a thief wants to do. A thief wants to fly under the radar. He wants to not be detected. He wants to not be caught. Matter of fact, when the Bible talks about a thief, many times it says when a thief is caught. But a thief tries to be stealthy. So he learns how to be deceptive. Let me say it another way. He learns how to work in darkness, which is where the enemy works. And here's what's amazing when you think about Achan. Achan was, they were going in the promised land and the promised land was a bountiful land. It was a land of God's provision, a, 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 a land of, of flowing with milk and honey. And they're going into the promised land, but Achan doesn't trust that God will provide for him and his own family. He has to provide for himself. And so he steals some. Here's the amazing thing. He never enters into God's provision. He doesn't even get to enter into the promised land because he, st he stole from God. And let me remind you, this, this represents the tithe. This was supposed to come into the house of God. Please, please, please hear me. Please hear me. I, I don't care how much money you make. You're, you'll never enter into God's provision for your life if you steal from him. It's all through Scripture. You understand? All through Scripture, God was, is trying to put the, the principle of trust in his kids. Adam and Eve. He starts with Adam and Eve. And here's what he says to him: You can have every tree except that one. Here's what he's really saying. Trust me. Trust me. Cain and Abel bring the first into the house. Abel brings firstborn. Cain doesn't bring first fruits. Why? Because he's got to see how much it is before he gives an offering to the Lord. Because it takes trust to give the first part. God said, bring the firstborn. It doesn't take trust. You don't have to trust God to wait till your sheep has 10 lambs and then give God one. It takes trust to give him the first one. Jericho, which is what we just read out of Joshua, he said, give me all the silver and gold from Jericho. Why? Because it was the first city in the promised land. God, God, God is saying, if you'll trust me, I'll provide. And so many times, we just won't trust. Please hear me, by the way. If you have to provide for yourself, if you feel that, because you won't trust God, you won't do it God's way, you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life. You're always going to have to provide for yourself. It's so much better living in the provision that God has for you. And some people have no clue how much God could provide because they just won't trust. But it's all through Scripture. Think about, think about all through Scripture. Trust me, even though there's a lion's den. Trust me, even though there's a fiery furnace. Trust me, even though the Egyptian army's behind you and the Red Sea's in front of you. Stretch out your hand. Get out of the boat. Rise and walk. It's all through Scripture. God's saying, trust. Trust me, trust me. Now, most Eastern cultures... Um, invoke the death penalty for stealing. Israel was the only nation that did not invoke the death penalty for stealing. 
because God came up with something. Almost the whole chapter of Exodus 22, the majority of Exodus 22 is about how a thief makes restitution. God came up with restitution. And restitution, that's why I'm, I'm really interested in this this week. God, why restitution? And why when our sins are paid for by Christ on the cross, why restitution? Why does the thief need to make restitution? And I found it in the Word. The Hebrew word for restitution is made of two Hebrew words. One means to restore to its original condition to restore to its original condition. Here's the other one. The second word means to remove guilt and shame. To remove guilt and shame. So you know what God does with, for someone who steals? See, if, if, you, if, you, if you hurt someone and you can't pay them back, they can forgive you, but you know you can't pay them back. But if you steal something, God says, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to restore what you've stolen so that you don't have to live the rest of your life in guilt and shame. I'm gonna give you this opportunity. As I told you, my dad owned a company growing up, and um, for some reason, my dad loved to collect silver dollars. Back then, you could collect silver dollars. Every time he'd go to a bank or something, he'd see if they had any silver dollars, and he'd buy them, and he put them in this piggy bank, and I remember he showed them to me one time. And um, when I was a teenager, I started taking silver dollars out of the piggy bank. Uh, Just two or three, you know, and then four or five or whatever. And again, I didn't get saved till after Debbie and I got married, but after I got saved, I remembered this. And I thought, I need to make restitution. And I estimated that the most I'd probably taken was 100. So scripture talks about fivefold, the thief restores fivefold. And so, and that's in Exodus 22, it's fourfold and fivefold. And so I said, um, so I wrote my dad a check for $500 one day and I confessed to him. I said, I used to um, to take silver dollars out of your piggy bank. And and, um, he said, you don't need to write me this check. I said, I I know. He said, you don't need to write. I said, I know, dad, but I need to make restitution. But here's what he said. He said, you don't need to write me this check. He said, I forgave you a long time ago. I said, you mean you, you knew <laughs> that, that I was stealing these silver dollars? He said, oh, yeah. I said, how'd you know? Because I thought I was stealthy. <laughs> I said, how'd you know? He said, well, son, I was putting silver dollars in every week, and my piggy bank was getting lighter. Didn't take a genius. I said, so why didn't you confront me? My dad's a very godly man. He said, I was wanting you to repent. He's just like our heavenly father. Our Heavenly Father, He's already forgiven you through Christ. He's already forgiven you. But He'd like to restore to you 
what the enemy has stolen from you, and he'd like to remove the guilt and the shame that you feel. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every, every week we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there any area of your life that you feel like the enemy's gotten a foothold in? So the Lord put his finger on something, Dave. Just like my father, he, he's, God's already forgiven you. He's not putting his finger on something to make you feel bad. He wants you to experience all of his provision, which is not just finances. What about with your children, with your grandchildren, with relationships, your marriage, your family, your health? God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. But he can't bless you if you're stealing and especially if you're stealing from him. So we want to pray for you. Again, it might be something to do with the message, but it might not. If you need prayer for any area of your life, finances, health, family, kids, job, relationships, whatever, if you need prayer for any area of your life, every campus, as soon as we stand up, we're gonna have one more worship song. As soon as we stand up, you just stand up, step out and come. Come to the front of the campus or the room where you are and let us pray for you. There'll be people to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person at every campus that needs prayer right now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not religion. It's not remorse or regret or remorse. It's Jesus.